Welcome back to a new exciting episode of the Sal Basama Era podcast here on the Spider Dude Network. Tonight, joining us, we're going to have somebody who actually worked on the spectacular books that we've been covering. Uh, keep in mind, this episode is going to air in the present day of uh, being recorded on May 1st, 2022, and current episodes were recorded over a year ago on another network. So just so you are aware, when we talk about wanting to have someone on the show in past episodes, episodes that will be posted on the network coming up soon, uh, this episode, again, was recorded in 2022 compared to the current batch of episodes that you're listening to which are from 2020 and 2021. On the show with us now is an editor from Marvel Comics, Jim Salakrup. Thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Happy to be here. You were editor on the Spider Books for quite a number of years. How many years were you the editor on uh, on the um, on Spectacular? Uh, not really that long, about three or four years. And you were um, you were one of the people that oversaw probably with the darkest Spider-Man story at the time, which was Craven's Last Hunt. Right, which is ironic because I, uh, I, I didn't want Spidey to go dark. <laughs> you didn't want Spidey to go dark, but then you were you were also involved with uh, Todd McFarlane coming on the book, and his artwork is some of the darkest that was on the Spider books for a number of years. Perhaps I, I, I don't really think of his work as being dark, but uh, more uh, m- more modern than anything else, and uh, a little bit of a throwback to. Uh, uh, Ditko with some Kirby mixed in and, uh, you know, Art Adams and Michael Golden, all, all those kind of influences. But I, I didn't think of, uh, think of it as being uh, really dark. It was, uh, there, there was a lot of fun to it as well. When you were uh, editor of the uh, Spectacular Spider book, um, and we're currently in the, in, 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 in just in terms of like where we are in the book, we just finished the Night and Fog storyline, and we're about to start the crossover with the Outlaws and the Avengers, um, the three part issue, you know, that three part story. Um, what uh, what were you doing just prior to uh, editing th- that book? Uh, actually, I was freelance editing. Uh, there was a few things like the uh, Vision Scarlet Witch miniseries. Uh, uh, the Silver Surfer, which uh, wound up, uh, you know, becoming a, an ongoing series. Uh, the issue I edited wound up in Marvel Fanfare, but mainly for around uh, eight years, which continued uh, uh, while I was editing Spider-Man as well. I was editing Marvel Age and uh, freelance, and that was uh, after I had taken a, a few years off to, after doing. Uh, a ton of books, the the Avengers, the FF, the X-Men, uh, and all the titles related to that and a bunch more. So I think that wore me out the first time, and I, I, I sort of went freelance, and uh, uh, eventually I was editing Marvel Age and, and working in the uh, office anyway. So uh, when the Spider-Man uh, titles opened up, uh, uh, I, w- I was happy to, uh, you know, go back on staff as a as a as a regular editor as opposed to a freelance editor or a staff editor and uh i i enjoyed it one of the things i i wanted to mention about spectacular spider-man is one of the first things i did is i got permission from uh the editor-in-chief jim shooter to change it from peter parker spider-man to spectacular spider-man uh i just thought it made a lot more sense uh you know, in terms of distribution, 
that, uh, you know, Marvel was still sold on the newsstand back then. And I felt uh, more news dealers would probably be familiar with a book called uh, Spectacular Spider-Man than they would with one called Peter Parker. At least that was my, my silly reasoning. I always was wondering about that because for a long time, the book was Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. Like we needed to know who Spider-Man was. And I didn't understand that growing up until years later, uh, adjective list Spider-Man after issue 75, when the clone saga ended, they changed it to Peter Parker, Spider-Man because they needed to let people know that Peter was back being Spider-Man and Ben was dead. Well, that, that, that made sense. Uh, for me, it was, uh, because I also helped come up with that uh, adjectiveless uh, Spider-Man, which was a lot of fun at the time. I would ask people, guess what I'm calling the new Spider-Man comic? And uh, no one ever guessed it was just Spider-Man. But uh, what I had really been wanting to do all along, I guess my reaction to, way, to the way some of the uh, titles have been, been edited previously, and, you know, each editor has their own way of doing things it's it's subjective there's no right or wrong uh my particular way was i really saw spider-man as one character and if it was totally up to me uh even all the way back then i would have just had uh amazing spider-man as a weekly comic with each story uh going from one week to the next the idea of the you know, Spider-Man having three different titles and maybe one title would focus on his personal life. Another title would, you know, focus on his, you know, working at the Daily Bugle. And another one might be in, uh, you know, his college life. It was like, uh, uh, you know, that was one approach. It's not the approach that I wanted to embrace. I wanted all those things all the time and, you know, not have it be uh, broken up like that. So, uh, it was very important, you know, beyond just changing the title from Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. I uh, even had the logos redesigned so it almost looked like if they were all like the amazing Spider-Man logo. You know, uh, when you have something that iconic uh, like the Spider-Man logo, I, I, I couldn't understand why they would have, uh, you know, different Spider-Man logos at the time. So I just wanted... You know, to me, it was really important that Peter Parker, Spider-Man was one guy. <laughs> How's that? Uh, <laughs> you know, way before the Spider-Verse, where now we have a, a gazillion Spider-Men. But uh, just yeah. one Spider-Man <laughs> at the time. And, uh, and, and, and I, I wanted uh, to do everything I could to make it feel like it was the same character uh, in all the books. And... Uh, you know, the, the biggest example of that was when I, uh, as you said, when we did uh, Craven's Last Hunt, it, it, that was the closest I came to having, you know, one story coming out every week, you know, through the different titles. It would have been ideal if it could have all been the same title, but, uh, you know, that's what I was going for, that if something incredibly... <laughs> horrible it happened to spider-man say he was buried alive uh i wouldn't want the next spider-man coming uh comic book coming out have him you know fighting uh the lizard somewhere else and, and having a footnote saying this takes place before 
or even worse, this takes place after, you know, the events in the, the book that came out last week, because then that, that sort of uh, spoils everything. I mean, we all sort of know that he's going to survive, but uh, uh, I, I, I just hate, uh, you know, being that uh, explicit about it. I like there to be, uh, you know, I want there to be some sub- uh, suspense, some, uh, you know, believability. I want, uh, you know, that week-to-week continuity, but... Uh, which uh, they're they're pretty close to it now in the uh, the modern books. Yeah, I mean Peter really only has one title now. He has, I mean Miles Morales has a title that he inherited from the Ultimate Universe. Peter Gwen sometimes has a title. The Spider Gwen character in Venom has an ongoing title as well. So <laughs> there's only the one Spider Book now these days, and then just like a miniseries once in a while. I just don't think the market can afford multiple Spider Books, but for some re- somehow DC is able to put out multiple Batman books. So. Well, you know, it's all, it all changes. I mean, uh, before I was editing the Spider-Man titles, you, you mentioned Tom McFarlane before. I, you know, I tend to be a competitive guy. And way back when, when people were describing from a uh, sales point of view, Marvel Comics, they would say, well, they got the X-Men and everything else. And as an editor, I had worked on the X-Men way back when, you know, before it became like, uh, you know, the big super hit it became for, for many, many years. Uh, specifically, I was, uh, you know, editing it up until the, the death of Dark Phoenix. Uh, I'm always killing off these characters, it seems. But anyhow, they keep coming back. Uh, I, I really felt uh, strongly when taking on the Spider-Man titles uh, that we had to make uh, put Spider-Man back on top again, which meant uh, competing against the X-Men. Marvel already outsold all the, the Superman titles. So, uh, no, I, I still think it would be possible. I mean, even if it's not Peter Parker and all the uh, current Spider-Man books, the fact that he has, uh, you know, a weekly title <laughs> and there's all these spinoffs, you know, there, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, Spider-Man stuff out there, uh, you know. Batman, I, I worry about. There's, there's, uh, uh, you know, how how much Batman can can the world take? Uh, obviously, a lot, but uh, I I kind of uh, you know like having less. <laughs> so the way it is now uh, seems to be something I would have wished for way back when. I don't know if I would have uh, wanted a. Uh, spider gwen or any of that stuff but uh uh that's just me (laughs) when you were editing spectacular what was uh, a couple stories that um you needed to drastically have uh changes done to them and like how did your editing process go about i mean how much did you leave to the how much did you leave up to um who was it so it was sal basema it was jerry conway it was jmd mateus did you leave before jm came on the book uh, no, yes and no. Uh, uh, when I came on, we were wrapping up his, uh, you know, Craven's Last Hunt. He he returned uh, after after I left, uh, you know, working with Danny Fingeroth. But uh, uh, what I tried to do, going back to what I was just saying, is I wanted that one voice for uh, Spider-Man. So uh, the opportunity to... Uh, bring back uh, Jerry Conway on both Spectacular Spider-Man, which uh, wasn't he the first writer on that series, right? Um, who was? 
Conway. Gary Conway. Yeah. Uh, back in the first issue. Yeah, I believe so. I don't know. We're not covering that beginning. The air. we're not That's covering okay. the entire beginning of Spectacular. <laughs> yeah, we're only covering as Sal took over his art duties because the. Uh, I always felt as though that the the Spectacular book until Todd McFarlane kind of came on always had a darker feel to it. Like the villains looked terrifying when he drew them. You know, especially when he got into the really dark Green Goblin stuff with Harry coming back as the Goblin and. And like the child within, which is a really disgusting story if you you know the context of it, um, sure. and uh, you know and and like any time there was like any of the really darker villains of Spider Man's, that art amplified him to crazy levels. The Puma stuff was always really weird and mystical and dark sometimes. So um, you know the way he drew like the like Carry On or Hobgoblin, you know that that two part story they did. Um, that was all, they all, they just looked so menacing. You know what I mean? <clears throat> oh yeah. No, that was, that was crucial. I mean, with, uh, with Venom, which I, uh, had a big part in, uh, making come to be, uh, you know, by the time I was done and Michelini had finished his script, one could have argued, well, there it is. Uh, Venom's, uh, completely created. He's on the page, but what, uh, what Todd contributed, you know, was just making the, the visual look as frightening and scary as, as, as Venom needed to be, adding the tongue and the teeth and all that, uh, as Todd submitted uh, elsewhere. You know, he didn't really know there was a human being inside it when he was drawing it. So, so it was, uh, uh, with all the villains, we were just trying to, you know, make them seem as uh, fearsome as as possible. This was, uh, you know, this is just part of trying to make the the stories at the time as uh, up to date and as effective as we uh, possibly could. You know, we we didn't want the the villains to look silly or, you know, someone that uh, couldn't pose a threat to uh, Spider Man question what was something that you had drastically needed change like it just wasn't going to work oh uh, there wasn't much uh you know there, there the things uh <laughs> i had a, a, a maybe a list of things I, I i wanted to do and not do uh what did you not want to do uh i i didn't i well the biggest uh touching on venom again is um I, I wasn't a huge fan of the black and white costume at the time. Retroactively, I, I, I certainly respect the idea, and I was very thankful to Jim Shooter, who really you know introduced that black and white costume in you know Secret Wars and then the Spider-Man titles. And one of his, his original thinking was that Spider-Man would wear that costume for for years. You know, you know, long past the point where. People thought, oh, this is not a real change. It's just temporary. He'll go back to the red and blue. Uh, he wanted to keep it going a lot longer. And, you know, to pass the point, people would, you know, think, oh, well, I guess this really is Spider-Man's new costume. And uh, But I was just really um, not in favor of it because I... I, I was reacting to the, the trend that was going on and something you were just uh, mentioning is that with the success of Frank Miller on Daredevil and uh, Dark Knight, uh, you know, and Alan Moore as uh, Watchmen, you know, uh, mostly all this took, you know, sort of uh, pinnacles in um, 
1986, you know, those were so successful, the trend was for all the superhero comics to uh, suddenly become darker and grimmer and grittier. And, you know, my style of editing, for uh, better or worse, is I want the characters to be 100% who they are. I didn't want Spider-Man to be a second-rate version of either Daredevil or Batman. I wanted him to be 100% uh, Spider-Man. And I didn't see him (laughs) uh, as this incredibly dark character. But, you know, uh, the Marvel characters go through all different phases. They're, They're... you know, that's part of the appeal of Marvel, the, the human qualities of the characters where, you know, they can't, you know, they evolve, they go through phases, you know, they can have a dark period, they can have something bad happen, they can have good things happen. So, uh, so the big thing was I wanted to go back to the red and blue costume. As I said, Jim Shooter, he, he was the editor-in-chief. I couldn't make that change on my own. I needed his okay. And sure enough, uh, he granted it. So uh, uh, that was uh, one of the big ones. There was a lot of little things, which were probably more personal on my part, in that, say, the character, the black cat, uh, for similar reasons. You know, a lot of people love that character. This is just my own, uh, you know, personal take on it. I just felt she was a little too close to Catwoman uh, for me to be comfortable with her. And at the time, it just seemed that uh, uh, Peter Parker had more than enough, <laughs> you know, female companions, you know, for, for a guy who's supposed to, you know, have all sorts of personal problems. Uh, uh, he was doing pretty well for himself there. So I, I, I you know. Just oh, yes. Want- Constantly. Like, it's a blonde. It's a redhead. It's a platinum blonde. You know, and they're all like 20 out of 10s. They're not exactly like these ugly you know frumpy unattractive women they're like a supermodel a cat burglar you know like just a girl next door exactly. college student so, it's you know yeah, so, it, it, it's a little ridiculous sometimes even like deborah whitman she was like drawn to be like nerdy blonde you know but still kind of cute and then you know anyone else that ever entered his life <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, that aspect actually didn't bother me at all. I really do think it's uh, uh, <laughs> believable to a certain extent. And, right. Uh, and then, of course, and when the, you were on Spectacular, that, I mean, he's with Mary Jane because their marriage hadn't been wiped out by the devil yet. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, it's all <laughs> – I think it was Grant Morrison who said uh, each individual comic book is a, a universe of its own. So uh, so those comics still exist and uh, – uh, you know, and I, I but you know, I, it doesn't matter to me. I, I, uh, I remember when I would talk to Todd. Sometimes there was a, one particular period when Amazing went to um, uh, biweekly during the summer. Yep. And uh, yeah, our plan was that Todd would do every single issue. We were trying to emulate, you know, the early Marvel style and the early. And, the, you know, the, the idea of having a regular creative team month after month, even the X-Men with Claremont and originally Cockrum and then John Byrne, it, I think that continuity of creators oh, is critical. yeah. That, that brings up a really great question. What happened at Marvel that all of a sudden, because they were not doing this other than like, oh, go read Web of Spider-Man to get the rest of the story, once in a while – 
there was a crossover between the spider books, but it would be years before we would see it again. And then all of a sudden, there are massive intercompany crossovers or major crossovers between the books with storylines. Like there was um, there's a storyline, if you remember, Chameleon and Hammerhead and the, the Lobo brothers. You know what I mean? It was Web of Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man every five minutes you know, connected to each other. Or somebody had to stop what they're doing and deal with Inferno. You know what I mean? <laughs> like when Hobgoblin, well, and, and, like when Hobgoblin well, even, gets possessed. Even, well, even Inferno was uh, a, an interesting uh, revelation uh, for me in the sense that based on what I was just saying, that I, I, I was competitive and we wanted the Spider-Man titles to, um, you know, exceed, you know, the sales of the, uh, the X-Men. To have this opportunity where there was a uh, a big crossover, you know, not so much the X Men characters coming into uh, the Sp- uh, the Spider Man had changed. It was this Inferno situation going on. Now, if I was just editing, say, Captain America or Iron Man, well, Inferno would have uh, impacted uh, just like you know three issues. But editing the three Spider-Man titles, we're talking about uh, nine issues. So we approached it as here's an opportunity where maybe, maybe there was no guarantee of this, that these uh, X-Men readers, because it was, you know, an X-Men crossover in a sense, would be checking out these Spider-Man titles. So in each title, we were you know, trying to pull out all the stops. Let's bring back Hobblegobble. Let's have Gwen. Let's do this. Let's, it was like, you know, what, let's do everything we possibly can if, if to attract, you know, these new readers and hope that they, they won't leave right after the crossover. And it, it, it certainly worked. And what was most surprising for us was the amount of mail we got from the regular Spider-Man readers because, and they were asking, what's all this Inferno stuff (laughs) in that there was almost an assumption at the time that everyone read all the Marvel books uh, that, you know, if they were, you know, uh, reading Spider-Man, you know, they probably were also reading X-Men. What people didn't realize is that a lot of these titles were, developing their own audiences so as much as we benefited from uh, you know getting some x-men readers to check out uh, those spider-man titles i think the x-men titles also benefited that some of the spider-man readers who weren't reading uh, x-men were uh, tempted to check out what was going on there as well but it, it was an interesting uh, uh, experience and I, I think we all had a lot of fun putting those stories together who was it? Um, do you know who whose idea was it to to drastically change? Because uh, let's face it, up, other than the Craven Last Hunt storyline, and once in a while Spider Man would fight Galactus, you know, like in Secret Wars. Spider Man was pretty much your friendly neighborhood Spider Man, you know, superhero. He stayed grounded, nothing supernatural. Sometimes teamed up with Doctor Strange, whatever, you know, it's fine. It's the Marvel Universe, but there was a massive supernatural push into Spider Man's books. Um, when the Hobgoblin became a demon, what what is there a story there about why th- why that was? Well, that's after me, so uh, you have to talk to the folks who worked on those titles. 
I don't think there was that uh, kind of push uh, on the ones I edited. Um, you know, Hobgoblin was, was something that, uh, you know, was uh, all sorts of controversy around it when I came in as editor. What was the you controversy? Know? Well, only in the, what it was is like, uh, for me, it was like a good news, bad news thing. Good news, you're editing the Spider-Man titles. Bad news, uh, no one's going to tell you who Hobgoblin is. <laughs> it's like, uh, well, wait a minute. You know, like uh, each, each writer or editor had their own reasons for what they wanted to do and how to resolve it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my goal was... Uh, you know, let's let's get past this as, as quickly as we can, so we could do our own thing, uh, and 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 within the, the titles we were doing, we were when you mentioned the uh, the continuity between uh, uh, you know spectacular and web, that's primarily because um, Jerry Conway was you know uh, writing both titles, and uh, you know so it was really everything I was doing was trying to contain things uh, with the exception of the adjectiveless Spider-Man book. Whereas it was just two writers, you know, David Michelinie and Jerry Conway. So, you know, if one of them, you know, they, they were able to see each other's plots, they knew what was going on. You know, we would have meetings where, you know, all together where we, you know, try to plot out what was going to, going to be happening. Uh, and, you know, we, we tried not to get, you know, step on each other's toes. So it was a, a, an interesting approach to doing it. Uh, you know, mostly based on the idea that we wanted it to feel like it was the same character in all the books. Now, at the same time, Spider-Man uh, in general, all those titles were notorious for, you know, long continuity and particularly if there's stuff going back and forth between the titles, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. What was becoming a, a new thing at the time was all these, uh, you know, trade paperback books. Oh, yeah. And and trying to figure out how to slice up stories and, you know, to, to you know, make them a, a manageable, you know, size book was becoming increasingly more difficult. So one of the other things, there was a whole list of reasons why we wound up doing the adjectiveless <laughs> Spider-Man title. But one of them was, that could be a book that where the stories can be designed to be, uh, you know, suitable for a trade paperback from the get-go, mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, you know, trying to have, you know, uh, either, you know, uh, six part stories or, or stories that would, you know, you know, you took six issues, put it in a book, it would make sense. You know Whereas, what, uh, JMD Mateus said to me when he came on the show, no. He said that he was still very shocked that uh, a lot of his stuff hasn't been uh, collected yet in any way. Yeah, well, uh, well, uh, <laughs> Craven's Last Hunt has been... Yeah, uh, yeah, that has been heavily, 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 heavily reprinted. But he was talking like, you know, like The Child Within and stuff. That's never gotten reprinted in the United States. Apparently it has in Britain, he mentioned. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, not in the United States. I'm wondering if that has something to do with maybe the context of the story and the new owners of, you know... You know, Disney no, I, I, being a little I, bit I, like, uh, wait, what's the story about? Oh, it's about a rat man who was raped by his dad and then experimented on by a Nazi. Uh... I think uh, <laughs> anyone's paying that close uh, attention. To... <laughs> no, I, I think it's, 
Oh, I, 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 always, I, 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 listen, Jim, I 100% believe Disney has somebody reading through all of Marvel stuff and being like, we can't do anything with this right now. We can't do anything with this right now. You know, hence why we had the Punisher recently changed. You know, and I know mm-hmm. that is more political stuff behind that. But still, there are characters I just, I, I kind of notice sometimes that Marvel just did not do stuff with. And uh, I, I wonder if it's because of the parents. <laughs> I mean, there were years uh, even prior to that uh, where it could have been reprinted. Uh, so, so that, that theory doesn't completely hold up. But uh, I, I, you know, these days, uh, most of my time, I'm editor in chief at Paper Cuts. But uh, I do get contacted by uh, by good old Marvel to write uh, introductions to various volumes of uh, Marvel Masterworks. Oh, neat. Uh, volumes where I was either the editor or the uh, assistant editor, uh, you know, to, to, you know, write the introductions and offer some uh, behind-the-scenes glimpses. And for the most part, they, they've, been, they've given me a, a pretty free hand. There's, uh, you know, some stuff by, uh, uh, I included in uh, one of my... Uh, recent you know introductions it was uh, i was sort of filling in for don perlin who may have been under the weather at the time uh for ghostwriter where uh reprint volume where i was just the assistant editor so uh, i think i i just alluded to some uh uh lawsuits that existed way back when between uh uh michael fleischer and uh, the comics journal and harlan ellison and which, you know, none of that really uh, affected Marvel. But uh, my editor on the uh, on the introductions was uh, concerned because uh, he was telling me that, uh, uh, you know, le- legal, the legal department has to sign off on everything. And uh, yeah, no, I understand and I, that. And I was OK. You know, I, 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 you know, I've been on both sides. I've been a freelancer. And it's like. You know, it's like uh, I don't mind being edited if they uh, uh, want to take out a portion. That's that's okay. I could write something else. And, and it was funny because I I <laughs> sort of self censored myself on some other stuff. But but you know, uh, other than that, I, I you know dealing with the, the current Marvel has been uh, uh, no problem for me. Uh, they, they they've treated me very well That's good. and and going way back to when I was working on the Spider-Man stuff, which is uh, like, uh, you know, Craven's last hunt is over 30 years ago now. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, I, I, you know, there were some concerns about uh, the ending of that story, for example. And uh, at the time, uh, you know, but the original series just went through without any problems. And then when there was some reaction, uh, there was a sequel that DeMattis wrote. Uh, now he's DeMatteis again. Yep. Uh, forgive me. Uh, <laughs> he went back to the original uh, Italian pronunciation of his last name. And there was a, a sequel he wrote, you know, sort of uh, you know, trying to uh, clarify things. For the most part, I mean, it has been reprinted, I think, uh, in one of the collections. Uh, but a lot of times they just uh, run, you know, collect the, uh, you know, just the original uh, stories without the, without the sequel. Talk a little bit about the Cosmic Spider-Man storyline, and then I want to hear your, uh, you know, some, uh, something about uh, the, the Bram Stoker's Dracula from Tops. Oh, sure. Well, the, the, 
the cosmic thing was uh, the, the the trick with uh, editing Spider-Man compared to say, you know, those other characters I mentioned where they're just in one title for a month is that you have a character that's, uh, you know, in, in three to four titles a month. And uh, you want to keep it interesting and uh, have, uh, you know, not have the, not, you know, just trot out the same villains over and over again. And then, you know, we, we so we were trying constantly come up with uh, new ideas. I don't, I, I think that may have been my then uh, assistant, uh, Glenn Hurdling's idea. I'm not 100% positive, but I, I, I think that was him. I liked it because it was, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, bringing into Spider-Man this other, <laughs> you know, Steve Ditko uh uh, concept of uh, Captain Universe, and and and, get, and just giving a, a, a whole different uh, uh, feel to those the Spider-Man stories for for that period of time, and what was going on. So yeah, yeah, that's all we were looking for. We were always uh, trying to find ways to make this feel authentically Spider-Man, but new and different. You know, it, it's a, a very difficult <laughs> balancing act. How do you make, how do you deliver what everyone wants without making it feel like it's just a, a rehash of the same old stuff? How do you, you know, keep it fresh? So that that was a, a one way that I, I think we all enjoy. Again, you were editor on one of my favorite um, miniseries uh, written, uh, sorry, drawn by um, uh, Hellboy Mike creator, Mignola. yeah, Mike Mignola, and uh, and written... Nyberg did, Roy Thomas did, yeah, Roy Thomas did, yep, yep, yep. How uh, did you guys get the script for that movie ahead of time, or did you yeah. do it based on the movie because it matches very well? And sometimes you don't see the movie before you do the comic book to get the comic book out on time, right? Well, what, what, what uh, if you hadn't heard this story before, I'm happy to tell nope, you. Nope, uh, definitely never heard well, any stories uh, about this series, so go ahead. Well, it was interesting that uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola was very uh, uh, interested in, in comics people, uh, almost to a point where, in some ways, he, he probably was a little happier with the, the comics adaptation than the actual movie itself. Let me explain. Uh He's said publicly before that, you know, he didn't want to do a big Hollywood movie. And he tried to explain to all the his, uh, you know, the people he was making the movie with that he, he didn't want, you know, the, the elaborate, you know, CGI effects. He didn't want, uh, you know, big budget stuff. He wanted it to almost be like a, uh, an old fashioned movie, all the effects, uh, you know, on camera and, the, you know, uh, you know, filmed live, you know, you know, it was going for something uh, very different than how the movie wound up turning out. Uh, I think he was a little disappointed, and he felt, despite all his talks of all the people he hired, it still had that, you know, big budget Hollywood movie feel to it. You know, not that that's a bad thing, but it wasn't specifically what he was looking for. Uh, At one point, uh, Francis was so impressed with how the comic book was going and he was still working on the movie that he decided, uh, well, gee, I, I'd like to, you know, have uh, this artist, uh, uh, Mike Mignola, come, you know, look at a screening of the movie and, you know, he'd like to get his uh, opinion on, on some things. And, uh, you know, Mike had called me. He was a little, uh, uh, 
you know, it's a little uh, overwhelming that what uh, uh, a, a director of Coppola's uh, standing wanting to, you know, consult with a comic book artist that, that didn't happen too much back in the day. And uh, so I just told Mike, who's, uh, if you've ever talked to him in, or, or read interviews with him, you know, he's, he's a, a brilliant guy, very opinionated and speaks his mind. And I told him, uh, hey, you know, just be yourself. Uh, you know, there's plenty of yes men out in Hollywood. You know, Coppola doesn't need a, another one of those. And, uh, you know, Mike thought, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go in. What do I got to lose? And uh, he was anticipating he was probably going, going to be in a screening with maybe 20, 30 other people. And maybe there would be a Q&A after and they'd all be talking. But no, it turned out to be a private screening with just him, Francis Ford Coppola, and George Lucas. <laughs> and the next thing Mike knew, he was like, you know, Coppola was being like the godfather and and letting his uh, <laughs> his underlings, uh, you know, battle out, battle over how a certain scene should be or what have you. And, uh, you know, it had to be surreal for Mike to suddenly be arguing uh, about a movie with George Lucas. So uh, uh, it turned out uh, Mike got a credit on the uh, on the movie. Uh, he designed the uh, the uh, Dracula castle that was used in the movie. So it wasn't the, the usual, you know, here's a bunch of pictures just brought, you know, uh, we, we had uh, a little tiny bit of involvement with the, with the movie itself. Uh, mostly it was all Mike uh, dealing with uh, Coppola. And, and just for fun, uh, uh, Francis was so great. He agreed to uh, come to San Diego comic-con uh, be at our booth uh, uh, to help promote the uh, the comic, which was the first title uh, we did at Topps Comics. So it was, uh, yeah, what a dream project that was, huh? That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Jim, where can uh, people find you? Are you on social media these days? Do you just kind of I'm avoid on, social I'm media besides Facebook? Facebook? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, uh, there's uh, to find out uh, what I'm doing these days, there's a, uh, uh, I, I'm the editor-in-chief at uh, Paper Cuts. Uh, uh, basically, uh, the whole time I was at Marvel and Topps, uh, uh, mostly what I was doing was uh, comics that were comics code approved or, or you know, all ages could read them. Uh, in later years, comics got to, you know, got to be a little bit older. So uh, Paper Cuts is, once again, it's a whole company dedicated to kids' graphic novels, although we have an imprint that does stuff for older readers as well and you can go to paper cuts with a z at the end papercuts.com see what we're up to these days we publish everything from uh, asterix which is one of the uh, best-selling uh, comics characters in the world to the smurfs to the loud house uh, and all sorts of other original titles so it's certainly worth uh, checking out there's uh, even though we're we're saying uh, you know Primarily, our audience might be 6 to 12. There's quite a few titles, especially Asterix and a few others that uh, older audiences would certainly enjoy as well. And, you know, you can always find me at, at, on Facebook. 
Awesome. Well, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the uh, Sal Basama Era podcast and talking about your time at Marvel, editing the Spider books. We really do appreciate it. And help and, uh, and uh, for my love of Dracula and vampires, uh, talking a little bit about your time at Tops as well. Okay. Uh, well, I, I, I would like to, but, but since you mentioned Sal Basama, I'm just briefly going to uh, uh, zigzag back and say, even though... Uh, Alex Saviak was the first artist to draw Tombstone. I think um, uh, Sal sort of made that character his own. Yep. And uh, he he was just a pleasure to work with, uh, you know. And he was uh, even uh, strongly involved in the uh, the ending of the uh, the first series of stories with uh, Tombstone. Uh, we we had been running it for a while and. We were building up to a big finish, and when he got the plot, I think Sal, uh, you know, felt, oh, this isn't as strong as it should be. And once he pointed that out to us, we all agreed, and I think Jerry, you know, reworked it a bit, and we were all thankful for Sal for that. He did some of his best work. His, you know, we just all loved working with him. Uh, Tops was uh, a dream come true as well. I. Yeah. One of the uh, ironic things there is that even though I had worked for Marvel for 20 years, it wasn't until I worked for Tops that I was able to virtually reassemble, you know, the Marvel bullpen from the 1960s when I did the Kirby verse. So to, the opportunity to work with Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, Don Heck, Dick Garish, John Severin, Gary Friedrich, Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, uh, et cetera, was uh, really wonderful. The only guy I couldn't get at that point was Stan Lee, uh, uh, who was under exclusive contract to, to Marvel. So I got to do sort of a, you know, finally got to work with the Marvel <laughs> I dreamed of working for <laughs> at Tops. Uh one of the most surreal experiences I ever had there was at a convention in California where I happened to be on the same panel with Ray Bradbury because we were publishing Ray Bradbury comics as well. And Jack Kirby and Don Heck. I mean, uh, that was a, a once in a lifetime experience. Uh, what was I doing there with those people? <laughs> but yeah, uh, all the titles, it would, I, it would take another podcast to cover all the top stuff. Oh my god! Yeah, there would there there needs to be a uh, like entire tops podcast just talking about all the different books they they put out back in the nineties. Yeah, no, it was great fun. Uh, I, I loved it, and there was a lot of great talent there, a lot of great people. Uh, to give a little credit on the uh, the Dracula uh, movie adaptation, uh, uh, they had already uh, decided they were going to do that before they even hired me. Uh, Ira Friedman was the publisher. You know, like he was the one who came up with the concept to do top comics uh, based on with some input from their creative director, Len Brown, who was a longtime comics fan, who uh, was even uh, his name was even used as the secret identity of the Tower Comics superhero Dynamo. And uh, Len was uh, critical in that he's the one who is such a big comics fan that once they got the license to do Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, Len liked uh, Mignola's work on uh, Gotham by Gaslight so much that Len was the one that suggested Mike. So, uh, and, you know, Roy Thomas was at one point Len's old roommate when they were young guys in, uh, in New York back in the 60s. So uh, 
it all came together. I was just very lucky to be a part of that. And it, it was just uh, uh, an amazing time. Fantastic. Again, thank you so much, Jim, for coming on the podcast. Thank you.